0: Today we're continuing a series that we that we uh, started a couple weeks ago called Family Life, and uh, we're talking about how we can grow our families in God so that they will last forever. And today I want to just talk to you about champion children. And so, as I in First Samuel 17, here we find the story. It's it's probably my favorite story in the entire Bible. I, it was my favorite growing up. Well, it was right there with Samson, you know, anything Samson did. I really thought that was cool. Um, and I always wanted to, you know, grow my hair out so I'd be strong and, and I always ate spinach because Popeye was strong, you know, so I did all those things. But, but this one, I love this one. Probably I, I was partial to it probably because of the main character in it. We shared a name with my name being David and, this is a story of a little boy who killed a giant. So we're going to read, this is going to be a little bit of lengthier, a little longer reading than what we usually do, but I want to read the entire story so that it will all be fresh in our minds. And then I want to share with you from uh, what God's laid in my heart today. So First Samuel chapter 17, we're going to pick it up in verse 17. And Jesse said to David, his son, take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers also take these 10 cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring, them some, bring some token from them. In other words, take this food to your brothers and to their commanders and then bring back a report to me on how your brothers are doing down there at the army encampment. Verse 19, now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. What a what an exciting moment to show up at the battle uh, right there as they're beginning their war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers as he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. Now we didn't read the first part of the chapter, but that's where Goliath came up, came out, and he challenged the armies of Israel. And he said to them, "Send out a, uh, send out a man, send out your champion, send out a, so that I'll fight with him." And so these, he's doing this again. It's the same thing he's been doing day after day. Uh, and, and only this time it says, and David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Now, free in Israel just means that he would never have to pay taxes anymore. How many you would like to be free in the United States? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, the the king would declare that he and his family and all of his descendants would be tax-free forever. Verse 26, And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, So shall it be done to the man who kills him. In other words, they just repeated what they had said, just said in verse 20, uh, in the previous verses. Now verse 28. Now Eliab, his eldest brother heard when he spoke to them it. and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil in your heart for you have come down to see the battle. And, and David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. That is, he asked the same question again. And the people answered him as before. In other words, he asked again, what will it be done for the man who beats this giant? And they told him again, he shall be made rich and his household will be tax free. And he's going to be get to marry the king's daughter. Verse 31. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him, because of Goliath. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. He was he was a child. David was a child too young to go and even be in the army. And he he was good for nothing in their eyes but to keep the sheep. And Goliath was a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. That's usually, that's probably not a, the way you would expect to start an argument about why you would go out for this giant. Hey, I used to be a shepherd. Uh, but he goes on, he says, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And, and if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. <laughs> that's, that's incredible to me. This is why I love this story. He said, if a lion came and took a lamb, I would snatch the the lamb out of the lion's mouth. And if he came at me because I took the the lamb away, I'd grab his beard and beat the lion to death with my own bare hands. All right, that's impressive. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. In other words, you see there, David realized he didn't do that with against the lion and the bear because he was so strong, but he recognized the hand of God in helping him in those situations. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword, that is Saul's sword, over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with a shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. That is, he thought him of no account. He thought he was of no importance whatsoever, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this wonderful account of the events of that day. And I, I thank you, God, that we can know this story is true. We, we thank you that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that, that this is this was a real fact. This it, it's in your word that that this was a real little boy, a real battle, a real giant and a real victory. So thank you, God. And I I just pray now that you would speak to us in this passage. Speak through me, God, in such a way that we may be wiser, that we would be more like Jesus than we were when we came in. And I'm believing you, God, that every person hearing my voice will leave here saying today the Lord has spoken to me. I I don't want them leaving saying Pastor Dave preached a great message. I'm asking God they, they will be able to say that God was in this place and he spoke to me. I believe you for that. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You know, the wonderful thing about reading the Bible is that the stories are true. There are are wonderful things to be learned from make-believe stories. I, I like to read stories. I love stories, but they're but they're make believe when they're fiction and therefore I'm never quite sure how securely I can put my confidence in those stories. However, when you read a story out of the Bible, then you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that what is being taught in that story is for your good and and for making you stronger because it's from God. The Bible never lies. It's so this story is not just a make believe story. I mean, we're not talking about Superman here. Superman is make believe. He's not real. We're not talking about Captain America. We're not talking about Spider-Man or for those of you that may be a little bit older and more discreet in your taste. We're not talking about Jack Reacher. All right, but they're all make believe. What we're talking about is a real little boy. We're talking about a real battle. We're talking about real armies. This is a story that really happened. It's a historical fact. It's a true story. And probably one of the most exciting stories that, it, that has ever been told. Now, I want you to get the picture. I want to recap the, the story. David is sent by his father, Jesse, from Bethlehem over to the place where battle is going on. And the troops of the Philistines would line up on one side of the valley. And the troops of the Israelites would line up on the other side of the valley. And then the, the armies would clash in the middle down in the, in the valley. And let me tell you, when those armies clashed, it was horrible. And if there wasn't a decisive victory in that battle, then the next day they would fight again. And these battles would last for days and days and days, and often they would even go on for weeks. And, and listen, it was old time, hand-to-hand combat. It was brutal, and it was costly. Because in, in this type of warfare, even if you won the battle, even if you won the war in the long run, the cost... Uh, in terms of human life would be astronomical nations would be devastated even when they won because so many of the men even if they won so many of the men would be killed or crippled as a result of the brutal warfare methods that were being used and these were not typical standing armies these were men who were who were merchants they were farmers they were ranchers they were these uh, people who kept the nation running and they came together for this fight. And if they got m- killed or if they got maimed, then it hurts the, the nation going forward. And, but there was a way that, that, that was often used to, to, or at least attempted to try to shorten this process and to save some lives. And sometimes an army would choose one soldier, their very best fighter, their, their champion. They would send out their top gun. And he would come out and challenge the other uh, army's best fighter to a personal duel. And he would say, you send your best champion. And if he wins, then we'll surrender. We'll lay down our arms and we'll serve you. But if I win... You lay down your arms and you'll serve us. And the opposing army sometimes would send out a champion. They didn't have to, but if they did, they, they, if they thought that their best could beat the other army's best, that they would send out their champ, their champion. I will say this, the idea behind this was to shorten the war to make it better, but it never, it really never worked. Uh, because even after the, the battle took place there, there would still be a, a war. So it, was, it never worked. But the problem in this situation that we just read in this scenario was that the champion of the Philistines was a giant. Now, I know that we, we don't think of this as real in modern America because we think of giants as made up things. But this line of giants was real. They were known as the son of, sons of Anak, And they were all gigantic gigantic human beings. They were real giants. And I don't know why we have a hard time understanding this. I think it's because we picture of a giant, you know, somebody as big as a house. And that's not what he's talking about here. There's nothing magical going on here. I'm not talking about anybody that's as big as a house. We're talking about something genetic. I mean, think about it. A seven-foot tall man is commonplace in the NBA. And and a a team without a seven-footer in the NBA would be uh, shorthanded. In the Messiah tribe in East Africa, eight foot tall men are commonplace. And if a seven foot tall man is commonplace in the NBA and an eight foot tall man, men are commonplace in the Messiah, then why shouldn't there or couldn't there have been even taller, bigger men who lived in history? And, and the, this Goliath of Gath was, was from a family of giants. He had four brothers who were also massive men who lived in Gath. And this man, Goliath, in the first part of the chapter, you can read about it, but he was so huge that his spear was like the beam of a loom. It was so huge that it wasn't the sort of spear that a a normal man could even put his hand around the, the shaft, much less throw it or use it. And his shield was so huge. Now listen to this. His shield was so huge that they had to take one man out of the army just to carry Goliath's shield. He couldn't carry a pack. He didn't do, couldn't do anything else. He couldn't fight. His only job was to carry Goliath's shield. That's actually a pretty good job if you can get it. You know, if you think about it, it's like, you mean I get to stand behind the shield while he fights? All right. I'm in. Thanks for the job, right? And so this man, Goliath, he came out and he said, send out a champion. Send a man out to fight with me. Well, all the Israelites in all of their valor, in their encampment, encampment, just hunkered down. Nobody was going to go out and fight him. And I mean, who wants to fight somebody like that? And here, then along comes this little David. Just, just a little boy. Some of you have seen uh, pictures, or some of you may have even seen the statue itself, but Michelangelo's sculpture of David, well, that the sculpture is beautiful, it's artistic, it's it's wonderful, but the problem is it doesn't have anything to do with this story because David didn't look like that. David was just a a little boy. He was a very young teenager at this time. He wasn't old enough to even be in the army. He was not a great big man with a perfect physique. He was just a skinny little sunburned kid. Now David begins, as he shows up, and he begins to hear this commotion going on. And David, he hears Goliath, and hears what he's saying about the armies of Israel. And he hears Goliath mocking Israel. And and David says, what shall be done for the man who wins this battle? Now, Now listen to me. Here's the first great clue to how to win battles in your life. Because listen, I want you to know this, especially if you're young. Most of the adults have figured this out, but if you're young, I want you to hear me very closely when I say this. You are going to face some things in your life that you haven't even thought of yet. Isn't that right? You're gonna face some difficulties and some problems and some heartaches in your life that you haven't even thought of. I'm here to tell you people that you love will disappoint you things will go badly from time to time you will face all kinds of problems in your life and that's true not just for young people that's for all of us some of us you know they're a little bit older there's still things coming that we have never even thought of but when we face those situations the question is how are you going to handle it when it happens that's the question we have to answer and I, i wonder You know, I mean, if there's any man in this place when he was a small child, never had any idea that he would live through a war like the Vietnam War, the Gulf War or the the war in Afghanistan. Would you raise your hand if if when you were a little child, you never thought you would go through something like that? Let me see your hands. Yeah, I see that. I wonder if there's any woman in here who would say when I was a little girl, it never crossed my mind that I would see a terrorist attack in New York City. How many of you would say that? Let me see your hands. Hey, yeah, look at that all over the place. I wonder if there's any adult that has gone through some hardship in your life that never crossed your mind when you were a little child. Raise your hands. Mine's my hands up. Yeah. And if you're a young person, look around because that's the reality of life. But when those bad things come, when things happen in your home, in your family, in your country, in the world, how are you going to deal with it? How are you going to win? How are you going to defeat those things that may look like great giants in your life? Well, the first key to winning is we, that we see in, in David's life is that David's mind was filled with the promises of God. The first key to winning is found in David's question, what is the blessing that will come to the one who wins? David had his mind on the blessings of God, on the promises of God. Now, David is asking, what is Saul gonna do for the one who wins? But you can look at that and realize everything comes from God. So the question you can say, what will God do for the one who wins? And three times David asked the same question, what will be done for the man who wins? three times. I mean, he'd been already been told what what was the deal? Why was he asking three times? Was David stupid? Couldn't he understand what was being said to him? Why did he keep asking? And I can't help but think that David kept asking because he wanted to get the promise so deep down inside of him that it was bigger and more real and more important to him than the circumstances or the enemy or the criticisms of his brother or the doubts or the fears or anything else. He wanted those promises packed down inside of him so that they would be bigger than Goliath. So he asked three times, what will be done for him? Now watch David's older brother, Eliab says, I know you, I know what's going on in your heart. He didn't, but he thought he did said, you're, you're naughty in your heart. You got wickedness inside of you. You're filled with pride. You ought not be down here at all. You should go back home and take care of daddy's sheep and don't be down here asking questions like this. Why was he so upset? Well, may have been some jealousy there, but he was probably feeling maybe a little embarrassed. His pride has been hurt. Because he's here he is. He's the big, strong, older brother. He's the remember when when he came in before uh, the prophet Samuel, he was of such stature that Samuel said, this has got to be the guy. Man, this guy looks like a king. So here he is with this kingly stature, this this outwardly looking uh, brave, big, strong soldier. And, and, but he is with all the others cowering back in the back lines and hiding from the giant. And here comes his little brother who's supposed to be watching the sheep. And he's saying, Hey, you know, what'll happen? If, what would happen if I went out there and killed the giant? So I think he's embarrassed. He, he, here's this skinny little kid who says, Well, if I beat this giant, what will happen to me? Now, I want, I want you to listen to this, especially if you're a child or if you're a teenager. I want you to hear this. I want you to understand this. The younger you are, the more surprised by this you may be. But I want you to know, if you begin to really make up your mind to live for God and to live in victory, there are going to be people that are, that are bigger than you, that are older than you, even adults who may say to you, who do you think you are? They may. They, who do you think you are to move on with God like this? If you begin to really learn to pray and begin to really study God's word, and you begin to learn to defeat the giants around you and the power of God, you may find that there are grown ups who say, "What do you think you're doing?" They might be jealous because of what 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 you can do with God and where you go with God, because they realize I should be doing that myself. And they, and instead of dealing with it and saying, "Hey, you know what." they're right. See, David's brother could have said, you know what? David is right. Who is this guy to defy the God of Israel? And he could have stepped up right then, but instead he wanted to push David down so that he didn't look so bad. In that moment, you're going to have to know exactly what David knew. You're going to have to know that the promise of God is more important and more powerful than the giant or than the criticisms of others. Brethren, listen to me. This is not just a lesson for children. But think about this question. We need to, If we know that we need to have our mind filled with the promises of God, how can we know what it is that God will do for us unless we saturate our minds with the promises of God? How can we know that there's a crown of life laid up for those that endure unless we read the word of God? How can we know that our God will supply all of our needs according to his, to his abundant, the abundance of his riches according to Christ Jesus? Unless we get into the Word of God, how can we know these things? Unless we read the Word of God, how can we know that God hears our prayers if we if we pray according to His will? And 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 if He hears us, then we have those things for which we pray. Unless we read the Word of God, this is the problem in much of the church in America. We have so many Christians today that have no clue what the Bible actually says. They they're not in the Word of God. They get their theology from worship songs, and you know what? There's some great worship songs, and there's some worship songs that are just so theologically bad that but but people love them we've got to know the word that's the foundation we have to build our lives upon we have to find a way to spend some time saturating our minds and the promises of God now listen to me I want you to hear this a child listen carefully a child with a promise from God is more powerful than a godless man with a PhD and 10 million dollars I believe that with my, all my heart. My uh, One of my mentors, Dr. Mark Rutland, you've heard me speak of him before, but he told the story of a time when he was coming home when he was a younger man. He was coming home from preaching some revival services in January on a freezing cold day. And his, as they were traveling back home, his car got a flat tire right on top of the road that goes across the Lake Lanier Dam in Georgia, right? And he got stuck right in the middle of the of the dam. And that January wind was was whipping across that lake. And he had a young boy, really, I guess he was a teenager with him that had gone with him. He had been helping him in his ministry. He had gone with him to the revival services. And they got out of that car and they started trying to change that flat tire. And it was so cold that day. And the wind was so cold that the skin on their hands was sticking to the metal of the lug, uh, lug nut wrench his his hands were f- freezing and they, and they but as they did it they could not turn those lug nuts he he had one of those you, you you know what i'm talking about it's one of the better types of wrenches but he had one of those four way lug nuts and that gives you a lot more a lot more leverage and so he had that on there and dr rutland would get on one side and lift and uh, with all of his strength and, and then that boy would literally stand on the other side of that and jump up and down but those lug nuts were completely frozen they would not budge and they were getting frustrated and they were so cold, neither one of them had, had actually brought a coat with them because, you know, when you're living in the South, you think, well, I, I'll just run in real quick and run out. And you just, but, but, and the wind was just cutting right through them like a knife. Well, finally, after doing this for a while, that, that kid, that young man, that teenager, looked at him, at the Dr. Rutland, and he said, Dr. Mark, I think we ought to pray. Well, For some reason, that just irritated him to to no end. Probably because he should have thought of that. He should have suggested it himself. But he said, well, well, you pray. So that boy just put his knee down on the pavement and and he just said, oh, God, we're freezing to death out here and we can't turn these lug nuts. Please help us. In Jesus name. Amen. Dr. Rutland was so irritated. He said, you call that a prayer. I could have done that. Well, they put that wrench back onto those lug nuts. And he said, "He said, I, 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 before God, he said, I'm telling you the truth. He said, those lug those, those lugs nuts turn without any effort. You can say they loosen them on the first attempt. But all I know is, is he said that they couldn't budge them before they prayed. And after they prayed, they turned those lug nuts off with their bare hands. They just unscrewed. Listen, a child... Who knows the promises of God is powerfully equipped to overcome the worst circumstances that life can hand them. What, what are you gonna do? Kids, teenagers, what are you gonna do? Now, listen to this what are you gonna do if someday one of your parents is gone? If you're relying on them to do all you're praying for you, what are you going to do? You, you may be already facing that. You may be already facing a situation where you're living only with mom or only with dad. Uh, but how are you going to handle that at times when you're alone and you're feeling afraid about your household? Now, listen to this promise. The promise of God is this. He said, Jesus speaking, he said, I will be with you always, even until the end of the world. Even if my parents desert me, the Lord will be with me and take care of me. That's a promise from God. But how can you know that promise if you don't spend time reading the Bible? What are you going to do if someday somebody you love gets so sick and they come to you, somebody comes to you and says, all right, such and such a person, grandpa, grandma, your your mom, your dad, your your son or your daughter, one of your grandkids, somebody you love is so sick that they're going to die. How are you going to handle that? Well, listen to this promise from God. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. You are with me. That's a promise from God. You have God's word on it. Saturate your mind with the promises of God so that no matter what circumstances come against you, instantly, instantly, the word of God comes up from within you to know what God will do for you, for those who, who overcome. David said, I want to know what will come to me if I win this battle. If, if we're just fighting and we don't even know what's going, what's going to be ours, then what's the point? But David, he, he wanted to know what's going on. David said, tell me again about this beautiful daughter of the king that I get to marry. Tell me again about this money. Tell me again about the honor. Tell me again, did you say tax-free? Well, listen, we have greater promises than those things, and our minds must be filled first with the promises of God. The second thing, David's mind was filled with the promises of God. But secondly, David's mouth was filled with the victory of God. Goliath looked at him and he was just, he hated David. He, Goliath said, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to just chop your body up into little pieces and I'm going to feed you to the birds. And David said, you come out against me in the name of your God with a spear and a sword, but I'm not afraid of you at all. Not at all. Because I come against you in the name of, of the Lord. And, 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 you know, we have to know. Here's what we know. We have to know the source of our victory. And we must be willing to proclaim it, to speak out the victory of God no matter what. Listen to me. I'm telling you, everybody else on that battlefield watching what was going on there, nobody else was speaking anything about the victory of God in that moment. The Philistines were, were saying, oh, this is going to be great. Watch this. This will be hilarious. This is going to be a piece of cake. All the Israelite soldiers, they're thinking to themselves, uh, you know, I mean, I'm a soldier and I'm not going out there. What's this little shepherd boy think he's going to do? Nobody believed that David was going to win that battle, but David believed God would win the battle for him, and he began to proclaim the victory of God in that situation saying, I know my God is bigger than that giant. I know my God can beat that giant. I know what this, what the truth is. David's past had prepared him for that, for victory against Goliath. He went in there with that confidence because of what had happened in the past. He was ready to use the weapons he had already learned how to use we read it, it as fascinating part of the passage. King Saul hears about this little boy and brings him into the king's tent, which by the way, Saul, if anybody was the best equipped, the Bible tells us that he was head, stood head and shoulders above any man, anyone in the, in, in all of Israel. So he was a large man himself, if there's anybody that could go out and take him on, it would have been King Saul who had been anointed by God to be the king of Israel. He could have, he could have gone out there, but he brings in this little shepherd boy and and he says to him, you're going to fight the giant. David said, yes. And he, Saul says, you, you can't fight him. You can't possibly win. Look at you. You're a little shepherd boy. And you know, well, let's look at it. David said to him, you know what? I was tending my father's sheep when a lion jumped out of the bushes and tried to take one of the sheep away. So I jacked his jaw and he died. The skinny little kid punched this lion's lights out. And he said, a bear came and I grabbed him by the throat and I knocked his block off. The skinny little kid killed a bear with his bare hands. No pun intended, but you can leave it. Uh, use it if you want to. David said, if, if, if God did that through me, if God could, have, could win those battles, why should I be afraid of a giant? God gave me the power already to defeat a lion and a bear, and I'm not afraid of this giant. And Saul, at least somewhat convinced, says, all right, go then, but wear my armor. So this little boy puts on the king's armor. And I want you to just get how ludicrous this is. You know, just Im- imagine, you know, um, a little six-year-old boy putting on Chuck Bryant's sport coat. It, it's not going to fit, is it? You know, I mean, you've, when you're, you know your kids were little, they would dress up in your clothes. They, I remember my girls walking around with my shoes on and it looked hilarious. You know, they, they didn't look like they were ready for battle, but they were ready for the circus. I think that's what they were ready for. But uh but but I want you to just get your mind around how ludicrous this has to be. Saul puts his armor on David and puts his, puts his breastplate on him. Remember, Saul is head and shoulders above the rest of Israel, so he's a big, big man, and David's just a teenage kid, skinny little teenage kid, and and he puts his breastplate on him, and it you can just see it, it hangs down to his knees. And then he puts his helmet on him, and it just-I picture it just flops around and covers his eyes, and he's like, uh oh And then, and then he ties the king's sword on him and, and it's the tip of it's dragging the ground and he's standing there and this just looks foolish and, and, and he puts on this king's, great king's armor and the king says, all right, all right, now you're equipped, go fight the giant. But David finally says, I can't, I can't go with these. Look at me. He said, I haven't tried these. I don't know how to use this equipment. I've never done this before with these things. He said, I have weapons that I have tried. I have weapons that I know how to use. I don't need these things. I'm ready. Now every young person and every child within the sound of my voice, listen to me. Sometimes the devil will tell you that when you're grown, then you can learn to play. That's a pray, that's a lie. Sometimes the devil will tell you that when you're all grown up, you can learn to speak out God's victory, that's a lie. Begin now to spend every single day of your life, a little bit at a time, talking to God and listening to God, learn how to get in with God now. You're not too young to learn how to pray. You can learn to catch hold of God and to pray and believe God for things to happen in your family, in your own life, in your mom's life, in your dad's life, in your brother's and sister's life. You can make a difference with your prayers. I don't care how young you are. Your prayers have great power with God. You, you, don't, you don't want to be get to, get to be my age, which is ancient. I mean, listen, I, I was born just, just after the Civil War ended. So, you know, that tells you how old I am. At least it feels that way. Somebody once said, you're only as old as you feel. And I was so depressed, I said, man, I'm 106. <laughs> I didn't know that till you told me that. But but you don't want to get to be my age and not know how to pray. You don't want to, to, to get to be my age and then start learning how to pray. You don't want to, you don't want to get to my age and have weapons that you've never tried. You, there, there are adults in this room, in this church right here, that are grown people that still don't know how to pray. Learn to pray now. We have great and precious promises of God, and by these we are made more than conquerors. That's what Scripture says. So speak that out. Uh, uh, When when something comes against you in your life, don't just sit there and and take it. Learn how to stand up on your own two feet and say, look, Satan, in the name of Jesus, I will have the victory of God in this matter. I know the name of Jesus will keep me safe. Now, with that said, I want to say this as, as well, because... That truth has been taken to extremes and has been used that, that people have gotten confused and, 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 and walked away from God because of this. But, but, but this is really important that it, it does not mean that the story is always going to end the way that you want it to end. That's so important to know, even in the midst of this, you speak out the victory of God, but that does not mean that you can make things happen yourself. And it's not going to, it doesn't mean that everything's going to work out the way you want it to work out. Two scenarios say a, a person says, I have a terminal disease, I'm being killed by this disease, but I claim the power and the victory in the name of Jesus, and they are miraculously healed. Is that a good ending? Is that a good ending? Yeah, sure it is but another person who is attacked with a terminal disease and that person says, I know the power and the victory in the name of Jesus. My sins are forgiven. I'm washed in the blood of the lamb and I'm claiming a victory from God in the name of Jesus. And then that person dies and goes to heaven and sits in in the presence of Jesus to be with him forever. Is that a good ending? Yes. Yes, it is. It's a very good ending. Listen, here's what I'm trying to say. If you have Jesus, there are no bad endings with Jesus. I want to say it again. There are no bad endings with Jesus. I read a testimony of a couple in Florida that were in a rush one day and they, they backed out of their driveway and backed over their own little girl. Both wheels of the van rolled right across the middle of her little body. It looked bad. It looked as if the child would not live. Her liver and her spleen were destroyed. They were not believers, but they called the church anyway. And asked the church to pray, and the church went to praying. Well, today that little girl is not only alive and well, but all of her internal organs are completely healed. She is well. The mother and father both got saved as a result of the healing, and that child is safe in the name of Jesus. There's power in prayer. Speak the victory of God. Our minds must be filled with the promises of God. Our mouths must be filled with the words of God. And then finally, this is the most important thing of all. David was filled with the Holy Spirit. The way to have victory in the face of a battle is to have the proper equipment before you get there. There's nothing sadder and more pathetic than a soldier trying to load his gun while the enemy is climbing down the chimney. You you understand what I'm saying? You have to be prepared before you get there or it's going to defeat you. You won't have time to get ready. When things are coming at you like a freight train, you're not going to have time to get the power of God in your life. You have to have it before that happens. I've known too many people who get things right with God after they're all grown up. And you know what? The common theme that I hear from all of those people are this. I wish I hadn't wasted all those years. I wish I would have done it younger when I was younger. I've talked with adults whose lives were a complete wreck. Things were coming against them and that they they had no power to deal with. They had no strength, no wisdom, no courage. They were completely hopeless, lost and confused. And their lives were wrecked because they didn't have the power of God before they got there. Everything that happens to them just defeats them and knocks them down. But my question is, what if they had been filled with the Holy Spirit of God when they were six what if they had had the, if they had the Spirit of God working in their mind, in their body, in their spirits, all those years? Years later, it, it, when life began to cave in around them, they would have had something. But instead, they were empty and powerless. There was no strength. They can't handle their 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 own life because as the enemy comes in the windows, then they're trying to load their guns. You have to have it before you get there. And here's the thing: the great secret of David's victory over Goliath in 1 Samuel 17 is not even listed in 1 Samuel 17. It's in chapter 16. In chapter 16, David was anointed king by the prophet Samuel. And when he was anointed king, it says in chapter 16, it says that from that moment on, the Holy Spirit came on David. From that moment on. Listen. There's nothing more wonderful that can happen in the life of a child. G- listen. Give a child ten million dollars, and it it might do nothing but ruin him and make him unhappy in the long run. People think money will solve solve all their issues. You know how? It, it just do a little study, a little research, and you'll find out how miserable so many lottery winners become after they after they get wealthy. Give a little boy the skill to play baseball or football for the greatest teams in the world. Give him a signed contract with the greatest teams in the world, making multiple millions of dollars every year with worldwide fame. And it might do nothing but corrupt his morals. Some of the greatest athletes in the world have been nothing but empty, vacuous shells of human beings unable to handle life. Make a little girl the most beautiful child in the whole world. Make her the prettiest thing that ever lived, and it might, do, do, might not do anything but fill her with pride and ruin her life. I mean, look at all the Hollywood stars that look like a million bucks. Some of them maybe like three-quarters of a million now. You know, they get a little older. But, uh, but, but their lives are filled with empty, pathetic, wasted, shallow defeat. What's the greatest thing that could happen in the life of a child? The greatest thing that could happen in the life of a child is to surrender their life to God and be filled with the Holy Spirit as a child. The younger people are when they receive the Holy Spirit, the sooner they begin to live their lives on holy principles, the sooner they begin to line up their lives with the Word of God, the sooner they can begin to learn the promises of God, the sooner they can begin to speak forth the the victory and the power of God, the sooner they can begin to operate in the might and the power of God. When that happens to you as a child, there's nothing that life can throw at you as an adult that you won't be prepared for in your, uh, because of what God did in your childhood. You know, I believe the one of the reasons that we're raising so many pathetically underpowered, morally challenged, weak adults is because they aren't getting the full power of God as children. Listen, my deep prayer for my children is not that they'll be rich or famous or powerful, or talented, or or you know what? It's not even ultimately that they'll be happy. My deep prayer for my girls is that they'll be holy. Because listen, I know if, if they get the holiness thing right, the happiness thing is gonna follow because there'll be a contentedness in their life. I believe that the greatest, most important thing you can pray for is for your child to be holy, to know God, to love God, to walk with God. It's More important than anything else. Now, I'm not saying don't pray for the other things, but I'm saying that is the highest priority. And when Samuel laid his hands on little David there in his father's house in Bethlehem, he was not only anointed as a future king of Israel, but he was personally empowered with the Holy Spirit. What difference would it make in a church or in a community if a child received the full, full power of God? I'm gonna close, I'm gonna read a story and we're gonna close with this. There was a great man of God, his name was Reverend Evan Roberts and he was preaching in Wales back in the latter part of the 19th century. He was scheduled to preach uh, in a service in a large town And on his way to that town to preach, he encountered a young 11 year old boy who was sitting at a crossroads. This boy flagged down the carriage of the great man of God. And he said, Reverend Roberts, please turn to our village and preach at our village. Reverend Roberts said, have the adults in the village sent you here to fetch me? And he said, the boy said, no, no one knows I'm here. Reverend Robert said, are your mommy and daddy praying for me to come to the village and preach? And the boy said, no, I'm praying for my mommy and daddy to get saved. The boy said, I read a newspaper article about what happened when you were preaching at a certain place. I heard about revival. I heard about people getting saved. I heard about the power of God. And I've been praying and praying and praying every day. And when I heard that you were going to go into such and such a town to preach, I've been sitting out here by the side of the road waiting for your carriage. Now I'm pleading with you, please Come to my town and preach. Reverend Robert said, But for the intercession of a single child, my heart has been turned. And he turned aside there, and in that small village, he preached, and the greatest revival in the history of England burst forth. I believe, listen, I believe with all my heart, I believe there may be children and teenagers, young people right here in this church that will change the course of a nation. I don't, know, I don't know who is here. I wonder if the next Dwight L. Moody or the next Billy Graham is sitting right here in this sanctuary. I wonder if there might be some young lady right here who's going to be the next great medical missionary to carry the power of the gospel to another continent. I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't that be something? I wonder if there's not the next great writer of Christian books sitting right here in this room who's going to teach a whole generation how to live for God. But the secret is to be filled with the Holy Spirit now, now. You know, the only thing that most children think about is playing or going somewhere or getting something to eat or staying up later than mommy and daddy want them to, but but every now and then there's one child, there's one teenager that says, what I want is to be filled with the power of God. What I want is to be a real Christian. If that child is here, I would consider it one of the great honor and honors and privileges of my entire ministry to pray that God would fill you with the Holy Spirit. Most parents pray, oh God, prosper my child. Make them smart. Make them successful. Don't let them be failures. Make them happy. But you know what? If there's one dad who would say the one thing I want, is to be so full of the Holy Spirit and faith that my son or my daughter will see in me the mirrored image of Christ and long for holiness in his or her own life. If there'd be one dad who would say, I would rather be filled with the Holy Spirit and my children see Jesus in me than anything else in the world, if that man is here, I would consider it an honor and a privilege to lay hands on that man personally and believe God to fill him with the Holy Spirit, that his children might see in him the image of the great grace and and goodness of God. I wonder if there might be somebody here that would say like David, I don't know what giants lie ahead. I, I don't know what I'm going to face in the future. But what, I, but what I know is that I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit now so that I'll be prepared for anything that comes my way. Here's the promise, and then we'll close. Luke 11:13 13 says, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Young people, I want to ask you a question. If you went to your dad and you asked him for a candy bar, how many of you believe that he'd hit you on the head with a brick? No, no, he'll not do that. He, he might tell you no, and it may feel like that to you, but he's not going to hit you on the head with a brick. Or if you get up in the morning and you go to your mom and you say, Mom, I'm hungry, can I have a bowl of cereal? Would she hand you a poisonous spider? No, no, she wouldn't do that. She'll she'll give you some breakfast. Or she might tell you to get your own, but she'll provide it anyway. If you say, Dad, let's go to the restaurant and eat some fish, would he say, okay, here's some fish, and then hand you a rattlesnake? Of course not. That won't happen. How much more then, if you said to God, our Heavenly Father, who's a better parent than any mom or dad ever in the history of the world, If you said to him, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit, how many of you believe that God will actually give you that gift? He will fill you. Yes. Because God is good. He wants you to have that. How would you like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? That's the key. Whether you're young or old, that's the answer. I want you to bow your head, close your eyes. I want to pray for you, Heavenly Father. We stand here in Your presence. I just know, Lord God, that You have great plans—plans plans that we can't even begin to imagine for Your people. Some of us, we've we've probably spent and used up most of our life, and hopefully, God, those things have been done for You. But God, there are many in this room, many in this church that that literally have a lifetime to give to You. And you have such incredible plans for them. There's so many great things that you want to accomplish in them. and But Lord, it starts with just coming to you and surrendering our lives and allowing you to fill us with your spirit. You're the one that sets us free. You're the one that empowers us. You're the one that makes a difference in our life. And Lord, I pray that if there's anybody in this room that is hungry that says, I want to be filled with the Spirit. If there's a, a dad or a mom here that says, that's what I want. I want to be filled with the Spirit so that my kids will see in me the reality of what Jesus can do. Lord, I pray that in Jesus' name if, that you would, would would just feed that desire, but God, that also that you would hear that prayer. We believe, God, that if we ask you for this, that you're not going to give us something else. You're, gonna, you're not going to allow even the enemy, to give us some, some uh, fake thing in, in its place. But you're going to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit because we know you're a good father. You're the best father. There's no one like you. You're such a good God.